Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Beefla360.com. This is Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program, presented by 1-800-Flowers, where fans, you can go to 1-800-Flowers.com and save 40%. Also mention us, and we'll even sweeten the deal. As it is, yes. I am Mike Gardner, and Jonathan always, creator of Beeflow 360 and White House aficionado, the notorious Ben Florence. <laughs> Beeflow, how have you been this week? I've been uh, pretty good. Some funky weather here in the district, but all in all, pretty good. How about yourself, sir? Great. Ready for another exciting episode, as we have a lot coming your way. John Gardner will join us in the second half of the hour to discuss the recent beef between Jurgen Klinsmann and MLS Commissioner Don Garber on the face of U.S. soccer and its development. We'll also talk some NFL and some NBA news. But we start today with an unusual World Series featuring the Saint San Francisco Giants of the National League and, lo and behold, the shocker of the baseball season, the Kansas City Royals. Robert III, fair ball. Moustakas across. And 29 years of frustration have ended. The Royals are going to the World Series. Eight postseason games. Eight postseason wins. Matt Yost, the first manager in baseball history to go 8-0 in his first eight postseason games. That's the MLB on TBS. Ernie Johnson on the call. Flo, we, we have laughed at the Royals all season, and especially through the postseason, just trying to find ways that this how, – how, find many ways how this team could lose. But as EJ said – they have won eight games of the postseason. This feels like this team can't lose. Now they're in the World Series. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is just so – it's so unbelievable and in, in, incomprehensible. This was a team that played well deserved to get into the postseason. But, I mean, they were good. They had good pitching, not great pitching. They didn't have a loaded bullpen. But their offense struggled to hit. They were, they were the only team in the American League that had less than 100 home runs. They have a terrible manager, and that has not changed. Young himself has got this team, and he's the first manager ever to win his first eight playoff games. But that doesn't change the fact that Yost has been able, has had an extraordinary amount of luck when he's been able to do. But this, this, this royalty, it's really 
it's really wild to see. The only recent uh, like comparison I could see was the 2007 Colorado Rockies, who were barely 500 at the start of September, won an incredible 21 out of 22, got to the wild card, uh, the playoff game for the wild card spot. They won that on a very controversial play. They got through the National League, and then they ended up getting trounced in the World Series. But the, if you look at just the playoff run, I think Kansas City may be more impressive. They've taken out the top the team with the best record in baseball in the regular season. They swept them. They swept the team with the second-best record in baseball. This team is, is in a playoff where a lot of unexpected happened. What this Royals team it really just it's, – it's so unbelievable and borderline incomprehensible. If you would have told me that at the start of the playoffs, that the Royals, let alone get to the World Series, could blow through everybody in their way. And they've been winning tight ball games. These games have not – like they've not been like a quarter yet, but they're getting the key at bat. The pitching's been good. I would have thought you were also going to try to sell me the Brooklyn Bridge. So it's, the whole thing is, is totally unbelievable. But, hey, that's why – that's why they play the game, and that's why we love it. Well, you've also mentioned in, in past episodes that the Royals do well at the small ball. And including that, it's they're the team that always hangs around and and gets it close. When they were playing the Orioles, they were the Orioles did everything they could to, to fight back and get a lead. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden, a couple of solid home runs and singles – then they're right back in it. They they took the Orioles to, to extra innings and still won. And even the series before. They just they hang with every team they play. Or they they strike so much fear in the team's eyes when they go on those amazing comebacks, like what they did against uh-huh. the A's. Yeah. Another thing that they do that, that very few teams do is this team does get the hits in crunch time when they need it. Or puts men on base. But then what they do is, is something very, very cunning, and I admire from it. They put the uh, the pinch runner, uh-huh. usually usually Jared Dyson or maybe an Alex Gordon. They put the fast, speedy guy on first, so immediately they win the psychological battle with the pitcher, and they've and Ooh. they've dominated. Yeah, they've gotten in so many pitchers' heads with that, especially with the Orioles, which uh, they had many chances to get out. But putting that but putting that pinch runner, it's almost you know, you know it's almost like when when. Arkans back in the day when teams used to do the wildcat because I, I doubt anyone does that anymore. Huh. But when you put when you put that running back in the quarterback position, you're like, can this guy actually throw? And in baseball, it's like, is this guy actually going to steal second? And they do. <laughs> now the question is, well, you hinted at the uh, the '07 Rockies. So I want to give a shout out to all the Rocktober fans out there. Sorry for the bad season, but you know you have to go, you have to fall down to climb back up. Very they did true. well. They led by Todd Helton Company. But they unfortunately got swept in the, in the playoffs against a very good Boston Red Sox team. That being said, we look at a Giants team that dethroned the Cardinals. And the last time they actually beat the Cardinals in the NLCS, they won the Fall Classic. Can the Cardinals do it again? Or do the Orioles have, or the excuse me, the Royals have what it take what it takes to slow down the Bumgartners and the Posies and the Pablo Sandoval's? You know what's crazy about all this? Everyone, and, and rightfully so, is so caught up in this unbelievable uh, Kansas City run is that people also 
forgetting that, yeah, San Francisco's on an even year thing. But San Francisco's run has been pretty darn impressive themselves. They, they, they start off the season hot. They didn't end great. This is actually the first World Series in a long time where you have two teams facing off that didn't win 90 games. San Francisco won 88. And this San Francisco team, it doesn't have the pitching teams. I've said this before. The lineup isn't that great either. But Bruce Bochy has been, you know, and he saw this in, game, in uh, the key game five last night. Bruce Bochy really has solidified himself. I think you can make a very strong case that Bochy is now the best manager in baseball. He clearly he made the right decisions while Mike Matheny last night made almost the wrong decision every time. But this Giants team, it's been unbelievable what they've done in these past two uh, even years. The view at the start of the postseason uh, in 2012 and 2010, nobody would have thought that the Giants were going to go on and probably win the World Series. They may, probably at that point were not among the best five teams in baseball. Now they've gone on, and they've won very tight games themselves. They had they had the series against Washington, which even though it was only four games, every game in that series was tight. Same thing in the NLCS. You had to feel almost like a seven-game series and a five-game series. So San Francisco themselves has got an unbelievable one, and that's what made, I think makes this World Series. I think it's going to be this World Series going to be totally wild. And I'm not. I've been. I've been thinking about it. This is going to be a very tough one to pick because you have these two teams that, on paper, do not look like the best teams in their respective leagues at all. But yet they're in, they're here. They're still alive, and they're they're in the dance. So. This World Series, I really think, when it kicks off next week, it's going to be wild. That being said, Flo, who do you think is going to win it? Can the you know, Kansas City Royals do the damn thing and, as, yeah. as quote Savage, make your hips swing? Does this team <laughs> have enough to actually win the World Series? You know, it, it's crazy to think of it. I still can't believe it. It's been a few days to think of it. But, you know, you look at this Royals team, how they've been able to win, and you made the good point, and I really you know, uh, thought that was a very interesting point about pinch running, getting that guy in first base. Have they been able to do the, the starting pitch? I mean, they have an ace in James Shield. They've been able to hold up. They're keeping the scores low, so then they can play a small ball. Then they turn it over to a very deep uh, bullpen that's got a lot of guys, a lot of guys that throw strikes and throw hard. San Francisco probably... I mean, it's going to be an interesting matchup in the rotation. I think that San Francisco is the better team, on just on paper. But I mean, it's really, even now it's very hard. And usually uh, with these series, I do have an inkling. I, so I almost feel like it's throwing, you know, just throwing a dart at the dartboard at this point. I mean, the I I do think the Giants are going to win because I think that they have a better team, and I think that eventually Ned Yost, he's been he's been he's like that guy that yeah you know the World Series of Poker just gambling and he gets on an incredible hot run, but event but even though when he's playing incredibly reckless and out of control, I think at some point I do believe that I'd be stunned if the series doesn't go seven games quite frankly. I, I have the, the Giants by hair. I honestly would love to pick the Royals. But then again, 
they should take solace in that I have literally gotten every single postseason series wrong to this point. So that just shows how wide open it's been, or how much of a moron. Or it could be uh, Flo is like the heavyweight boxer. Knocked down so yeah. many times, it's still still chucking. I think Kansas City is going to win. I think when you look at teams, the teams that are very excited just to be there, the Rockies ran to a very good Boston Red Sox team. Dice K, Vitek uh, on that team. It was a team very, very prime and destined to win. San Francisco, though, you know, they did beat the Cardinals 4-1, which is interesting looking at it on paper, because the Cardinals always one of the most consistent teams in baseball. But so have the Giants, which have been very surprising. And considering that they, like you said, Flo, they had the chance to run the table and win the who got destroyed by the Cardinals. I, I think the Royals will win maybe in six. Could be because now I'm just wondering when the Royals are going to lose. Because if they just go and sweep the World Series... This has yeah, to be I, one of the greatest postseason performances in our national pastime history. Absolutely. Because that's why this team is so good. They don't know how to lose. They, they're they just <laughs> like, oh, we've never been in this situation, so we won't ever get in this situation. I think they'll win in five, maybe six. Because if this team, if this team can steal the two games on, at, at, on the road, much like they've done in every series they've played in, there's no, no question in my mind that the Royals can win it. That being said, very interesting article, and uh, and sources have surfaced that Kansas City Royals manager Ned Yost has credited this postseason run to the late great Dale Earnhardt. Flo, have you seen this? Uh, I have not seen this, but I do know that Yost oh did have a strong connection with Earnhardt because he did actually work for a little bit on one of uh, one of Earnhardt's crew. I think he's like a tire changer guy. But there definitely is a connection, but I haven't seen this. Well, basically, he, used to, well, he, did, he developed a friendship when he coached the Atlanta Braves. He actually was a volunteer on Earnhardt's Richard Childress Racing Team in 1994 when the baseball season was on strike. So how about <laughs> that, NASCAR fans? Cheer for the Royals because he was, Ned Yost loves Dale, and so do we. That being said, moving forward from our postseason baseball coverage, speaking of NASCAR, the chase rolls forward into Ooh. what could be set up as the perfect scenario for the NASCAR fan. You have four drivers missing the cut after Sunday. So we cut down to eight, but those four drivers missing the cut for a lot of fans could be brought to tears as the four drivers currently out is Flo's boys, Casey Kane, Brad Keselowski, who had a very strong regular season and won a chase race, mm-hmm. Jimmy Johnson, and the 40-year-old virgin Dale Earnhardt Jr., who, Flo, they, not, not only that, but they have to race in Talladega, a track that we have seen in the past is a crapshoot. Do, do you think that this... Is it, are we going to be seeing Russian roulette on Sunday, or will it be, fingers crossed, a clean race where truly the best man wins? You know, it's, it's, it's I really think, and I may even write a piece about this, I think this Talladega race has the potential to be one of the wilder, and of course saying a wild Talladega race that just goes almost without speaking. 
But I think this has the potential to be even wilder than usual. You have the fact that it's an elimination race, which I think is, is – I think they, they definitely plan for Talladega to be an elimination race because there's just, just so much that could happen. And not only that, when you look at the drivers that are currently on the outside looking in, you know, whether it's uh, Kane and Kansas are both very much in the bubble, Keselowski, Jimmy Johnson – Dylan and Hardjur, those are all guys that have run and can run really well on play tracks. We all know with the draft that things, at like, especially at Talladega, can change rapidly. You can have a guy, he goes from first to one lap, and he can go to 25th to set the next. So I think that, and I think you're going to see, you don't see that much strategy because there's not usually that much green flag stops, and track position isn't as important, at least until late. But you're gonna, I think it's going to be a very much a wild race. The points, I think, can really fluctuate. I think that, and for these guys, and even the guys that may feel a little bit of a cushion, because one wreck could completely wipe out a guy, you know, that is far away up in the point, like you know, a Jeff Gordon, for example, or Edwards or even Newman, where they're clear of about a good 20 points or so. But if they get wiped out in a wreck, they're done and unless we get some real crazy action. But I think this Talladega race is going to be all, totally off the wall. I don't think, and I did predict this, and I haven't been nearly as good with my, did my prediction this go-around as it was the last time. But I do think somebody like a Jamie Mack, that a non-chase driver is going to win, which is going to make it even more wild for the battle to get to the net, get to the uh, the I want to say the eliminator round. I need to get back at the the uh, the names. This Talladega race on Sunday, I'm very much excited for because I think it's going to be totally wild. Good observation with Jamie Mack, last year's winner in this October race, and then right. and last week we had Kyle Larson run well, who is yeah. running extremely well in the chase, and, and sad the best thing, best place this guy can finish is his 17th. You mentioned the Rex. Is it? Should we be expecting an early wreck or a wreck with, like, 10 to go? I think it's going to be an early wreck because mm-hmm. so many drivers are going to have so much adrenaline and emotion that they'll, they'll want to be fighting for position early, and that's where you'll see the the bit, the big, the, the, bit, the so-called big one mm-hmm. early in the race because I think a lot of drivers know what's on the line in the last race. And in past, we haven't really seen that much of a big one, especially with this new Gen 6 car. We're seeing a lot of run-on-the-top racing, which a lot of fans don't appreciate. So the aero package has been sort of messed up. And it'll be a lot of single file. Because now that that's, that brings up a good point, mm-hmm. is with certain drivers like Carl Edwards, Ryan Newman, and you know Jeff Gordon, Denny Hamlin, who are mathematically in... Do we expect them to run conservatively and almost, dare I say it, play defense? Uh, I think you're going to see that because I think always at the Talladega races you do have the pack of guys that will hang hang out in the uh, hang out in the back, and I think those guys will try to play it safe. Of course, it's a win and you're in, but it's very hard for somebody to dominate and lead, you know, a vast majority of the laps at Talladega. With the the put with the, the restrictor play package, 
the thing is in that in how these races have seemed to work, although not always, especially now when we had the awful uh, tandem races, but is that things will be wild at first. You have the, the you'll get the green flag, people's adrenaline will be going, and that guys are going to try and change up if they're in the back, they may try to get to the front because nobody wants to be in the middle, as always. But then it will fan out a little bit. I think guys will go a little cautious. But it's going to be interesting to see the guys, like as you said, will they hang in the back? Will they try to get to the front? Because, you know, they'll want to get every chance and point they can get. So they may try and lead laps or they can hang out, try to avoid the wreck. But sometimes guys that hang out in the back, they struggle when the time comes to be able to get to the front. And sometimes when guys, like, in the middle of the race, see if they can go from the back to the front, that's where issues arise. And, of course, you have all these drivers that are not in the chase, that have nothing to run for but for wins, just to end the season on the right note. And that's why this Hallidager Fall chase race has always been, it always has been wild because there's always that risk of a wreck and you want guys that are going to go conservative. But now you have guys that are trying to avoid elimination. There's so, going to be so much going on. And that's, as I said, I think that we can see a whole lot of crazy this Sunday in Alabama. And, of course, following off the coattails of last week's Charlotte race, three drivers Ooh. were involved in quite the scuffle. And <laughs> all three of them are by no, by no means locked into the chase. Mm-hmm. You have In one corner, you have Brad Kislowski, who currently sits 50 points out from yeah. the cutoff line. Mm-hmm. Who I I mean I, he, I don't think he's ever won at Talladega. I don't think he ever does well at restrictor plates. But but no, now no, you got Kessel, no, Kessel, no Kessel won twice. He won the one time where Oh, that's uh, right. When the Carlin Carl won another time with Penske. I think it was I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, but he has won twice. He's in one corner. Mm-hmm. And he was sort of the the instigator of this whole fight that's got millions of YouTubes. And then in the other corner, you have Joe Gibbs' teammates, Denny Hamlin and Matt Kenseth. And Kenseth is, and after the last race, is only is now outside looking in, a point mm-hmm. down. So you have two guys that are not in the chase. And many, many NASCAR media are saying, oh, that's not going to be an effect. It's not going to matter what happened in Charlotte. But in Talladega, a race that that have, you have nothing to lose, would it not be surprising to see those three or or two of the three get involved in the scuffle, especially with Kozlowski and Kenseth, who have to win, or Kenseth can at yeah. least race his way in. But but those two guys, is it? Do you think Charlotte the Charlotte race is going to boil over? You know, if 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 this was about any other racetrack, if this was. Uh, like Martinsville or anything, I would say yes, there would be something, especially. But it, it, you don't, maybe it's just me, but I don't recall that much of stuff like that going on at Talladega because it's because everyone's in the pack. It's very dangerous for guys to do stuff like that, to turn other guys around and wreck them intentionally because you can wipe out half the field. So I don't know. I mean, certainly, you know, Keselowski. He definitely has uh, a reputation. That's why, you know, so, people, so many people love him, love when he won the title, of being a little hot-headed, being uh, a little controversial. Kenseth, which is surprising, doesn't have that. Of course, Denny Hamlin has 
a little bit of that reputation as well. And Smoke uh, was also involved in that, although his involvement was based on an accident by Keselowski. But I would, uh, maybe you'll disagree, but I would be surprised if we see something like that boil over explicitly because, and even if you wreck a guy, because it's so hard to get separation, you can end up crashing yourself. So I don't know if we're going to see that at Talladega. It's very risky to do that. And especially if you do something, you spin a guy out or something, you can, or if no caution comes out, you can lose the strap. It's very risky and pretty dangerous to do something like that at Talladega. So I would be relatively surprised if that happens. But, of course, as we know at Talladega, anything can happen. So, you know, that could be dead wrong. Yeah, I think especially Kenseth and Hamlin, they have a lot in their corner of having a good finish because those Absolutely. guys, I could see Hamlin being one of the guys that plays conservative. I could mm-hmm. also see a, I could also see a guy like Ryan Newman play conservative because he's come out mm-hmm. of nowhere. Does yeah. not, mind you, does not have a win, but is somehow in fourth, yeah. and he is he has been playing yeah. it safe. But uh-huh. you, have to, you have to give hats off uh-huh. to guys like him and Carl Edwards. But those names, not necessarily household names. However, we well, we can have the potential of seeing guys like Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and Brad Keselowski eliminated from the mm-hmm. chase. And when you take those guys and combine their wins, that's half the schedule right there. Is it sad for NASCAR fans that either Jr. or Jimmy Johnson could not be competing for a championship? Is this playoff well, sort of making it worse for the NASCAR fans? Well, I think it's certainly it's made it very much unexpected because if I would have told you that, uh, you know, guys like Kyle Busch struggled for so much of the season and was pretty awful down the stretch, a guy like Newman, who's run very solid, and he's continued to do that, but he hasn't been a guy that's been running up front competing for wins. If I would have told you that those guys would be in the next wall of Jimmy Johnson, and a guy we haven't talked about at Talladega who has more wins in there, although he has it, I caught an NASCAR race day the other day, but Dale Earnhardt Jr. hasn't won at Talladega in a full decade. And, yeah, he's always a guy we talked about, and he, got, he knows how to race at the restrictor play track, and he won the Daytona 500, but he's a guy that's got to win. So it's definitely crazy to see this, but I think it shows that now more than ever, and specifically more so than the previous Chase edition. You have to be on your game now every single week. You can't have any mulligan. Because you look at a guy like Newman, he's run solid, he's a solid run. Kyle Butch has been great in this round. I thought, a lot of people thought he could have been knocked out in the first one with how he finished, but he's been great. Logano's been strong. A guy who felt like Keselowski, who was so good, and Penske's been so good this year, he should have struggled to make it a little bit when Jimmy Johnson's always in the mix. He's on the outside looking in. Dale our junior, so many people thought at the start of the year, this could be his year. And then Ken's the guy I picked to win the championship. Or I'm going to be out. So it, I think it means that now the message is you have to be on your game every single week. And, you know, you hate to say it, points racing, as you look at a guy like Newman, points racing isn't completely gone. A guy can be consistent, not win, but still get through. So it's it's gonna cook up a really fascinating race this Sunday, and then if let's say the the points hold and those guys get knocked out, who's the title favorite then? Is it Logano? Could it be Kyle Busch? The guy could Kyle Busch finally break through 
he's widely regarded by many, including myself. You know, I've had my issues with him before as the most talented guy out there. Could he break through? So this chase is really just a, you know, just a crock pot of just wild racing and unexpectedness. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Maybe you disagree, but I think that it's cooking up for the, the next four, five races, as we're about halfway through the chase, it's going to be wild. And I can't, I can't wait for the Sunday and going forward. That's right, 2 p.m. Eastern, NASCAR Sprint Cup Series, Geico 500, 188 laps, 500 miles on ESPN. One winner, which I hope it's a non-chase driver, because that'd be hilarious. And, and if any track to get a non-chase driver, this is the track. It would send this, the entire series into a tailspin, and we love that. We love seeing it on the toes. Back to the uh, the whole bracket scenario and postseason. I think mm-hmm. as for, the, for the casual fan that especially the mothership tries to promote, it's yep. this make this makes NASCAR look sort of bad to know, you know that Jimmy Johnson, Keselowski, and Junior may not advance, so you'll lose mm. a lot of you'll you'll lose a significant amount of viewership because Junior's title hopes once again come smashing and crashing down. That being said, I don't think NASCAR is concerned about it because they're growing the so they're growing the sport you know through guys like Joey Logano who at this stage in the game has one of the chances to win the title. He's, I believe, won in every single round. He has big cars with Penske. That Ford shop is dominant. Shout out to John Logan, by the way, a high school grad. He works in that Penske shop. Who ever, since, ever since he graduated in May, Penske has won like eight wins. So, bravo. <laughs> bravo to John Logan. But he, he's done well. You mentioned Rowdy Bush, who, if he, get, if he manages to break through to the chase... The first race is Martinsville, where he has proven to run great time in and time out. Texas, where mm-hmm. he has won like three of the last five races there. So he's in prime condition to go to Homestead. And then, but then also you still have you still have some some good legends. Jeff Gordon could be in it. Matt Kenseth might be in it. Carl Edwards in his final year at uh, Roush Fenway, he could be in it. So I don't think NASCAR is too concerned. Although the casual fan will probably be disinterested. Because a lot of the big, the so-called big names aren't in it, but you know, they, they, of course, NASCAR made that. And of course, Ricky Craven said after the Charlotte race, when when the coach was doing Sports Center asked him, you know, is it bad that Junior and Jimmy Johnson won't make it? And Ricky Craven said, well, the playoff system, it is very common to see the best team not win. We saw that in the, we saw that I think in the, the Super Bowl, which the the eighteen and zero Patriots. Lost to mm-hmm. the Giants with a wild card in two games above 500. The best team never usually wins the championship, but and so that's what makes the playoff format great. To the old mm-hmm. school NASCAR fan, though, the only thing I don't like with this chase is the resetting of points because that mm-hmm. puts drivers in the situation they're in now. Yeah, had those had the point system be monitored, be you know, ordered differently. You could see possibly Keselowski and Johnson still alive instead of seeing a complete 180 after Kansas, and you'll probably see another 180 after Martinsville when we go there in a, in a couple of days. Uh-huh. But it should be great. Talladega, expect the All big right. one. And expect, and expect someone not in the chase to win. That's our yeah. NASCAR breakdown. We'll send it to commercial. When we come back, we will talk some football, some football, 
and some basketball with Ooh. his airness, Mike Jordan, getting sort of involved in the basketball landscape. Once again, you're listening to Fanatic Radio, presented by 100 Flowers. Block Talk Radio, back after this. Fanatic Radio. I have no decision-making capability on this program! It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on... Blog Talk Radio.
by Peter Gabriel. Classic tune submitted by Ben from New Jersey. Once again, you, the fans, can select <laughs> submit the music played on Fanatic Radio, presented by 1-800-Flowers, by emailing your favorite song to thefanaticradio at gmail.com. Always a classic with Gabriel, Mike Gardner, Ben Florence, on Blog Talk Radio. Check out the podcast on iTunes, Beeflow 360, and blogtalkradio.com slash fanaticradio. Flo, college football is back in among us. As fans, you can listen to our World Series preview and our Talladega preview as the race for the chase is still on 2 p.m. Eastern. On ESPN, four drivers will be eliminated and baseball starts next Tuesday. Fall Classic, Royals, Giants, West Coast that every East Coast pundit is frustrated with because they probably just don't care. But you should care because the Royals are trying to make history of just winning every game and not losing. College football, though, on the other hand, we have been blessed with fantastic games the past two weeks, which was ever since October has started, this has been football month. And we have grabbed it by the horns and embraced it. And, of course, we, the fans, are blessed again as some more college football greatness is coming up yep. this Saturday. Big, big matchups. More importantly, the game day matchup between number five Notre Dame and number two Florida State. Now, this is a, a matchup that features a Notre Dame team that has survived Stanford, and that's pretty much it. No major tests, no necessarily big games, except this one. Florida State, on the other hand, they've looked pretty bad, despite being the defending national champions. They mm-hmm. barely survived Clemson in overtime, and they struggled against North Carolina State. They've struggled against the majority of opponents they've played. But they have won. They are still undefeated. And Jameis Winston, though, has been fantastic on the field. Off the field, though, not so much. <laughs> and here's what the old coach Bobby Bowden had to say about Jameis Winston. Jameis has got to grow up. He's got to grow up. He he does things that kids in grammar school would do or, or, or kids in junior high would do. You know what? And uh, I, I think once he draws the line and says, I'm not going to step below this another time, uh, and I, I think he I think he can do that. But if he don't, I'm, he's going to make it, make, it, make it mighty tough on himself. I think his draft status has already dropped way down, you know. But you know what's amazing to me about him? I don't care what, what goes on off the field. Once he gets under the center, he blots everything else out, you know. And uh, it, it don't affect the way he plays. Of course, that's Bobby Bowden on the Heisman Trophy quarterback. Making a very interesting point, as soon as he's under center, he's he blocks everything out. But, Flo, how much longer can Jameis Winston block everything out? You know, and I, I also agree. I think that's a great point. And I, I, I mean, Winston deserves pretty much no credit because all the stuff he's done off the field, it's worse than Mandel. Because at least Mandel, he was, you know, he was acting like a goon, but nothing like criminal. Jameis Winston has gotten himself in trouble and it's just with the inane stuff as well. It's going to be, it's, and, and who knows with, you know, this, uh, this the latest news, uh, you know, they're get, there's going to be the outside investigation. So, you know, there's some people think, could he end up, could there something go down by Saturday that he not play? It's, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be tough for him to keep on blocking it out, I believe, because it's going to continue, it's not going away. He clearly showed that he has not matured at all. 
So this these issues, and especially now with this investigation, until that wraps up, these questions are not going to dodge him. He's not going to be, be able to outrun them. And while he doesn't continue to have the sport of the fans, once or if they lose, like if he's playing, if they lose on Saturday, then a lot of that fan sport is probably going to go right out the window. Winning, of course, cures all, but winning can't cure everything. Yeah, Winston, his outfield issues are insane. And and this is, <laughs> you know, he's only a redshirt sophomore, so he hasn't even been in college four years. That's right. Now the fact that, that the university is investigating the handlings of the uh, earlier suspension and then the uh, the sexual you know, sexual violent cases, they're thinking you know, the the Tallahassee police didn't do their job. It it's all depends on when it will come crashing down. Because as we've learned at the NCAA, in situations like this, yep. it takes a very long time for things to do stuff, especially our judicial process. A very long time to do things. You know, we're still waiting. I think we're still waiting to see if Todd Gurley is how far he's going to be suspended. And by that time, he could be suspended the entire season. Jameis Winston, though, has a lot has probably the most spotlight on him than any college football player in the country. And now, you know, he has to brush that aside and go up against a very good Notre Dame team, a Notre Dame team that wants to hit him till it hurts. Mm-hmm. And you wonder how many more. You know, free lives is this guy going to get before something really bad happens? My thing is, nothing will be handled until after the season. You know, and once again, he'll be in talks of winning the Heisman, and everyone will complain about how the Heisman is rigged, lost all integrity. I mean, it was even cut out of its website as sort of a tongue in cheek, but still, that's bad that even if it wasn't intentional, it was still cut out of the website. That being said, does Notre Dame have what it takes to go into Tallahassee and rattle Jameis Winston, or do we go with Bobby Bowden's comments of as soon as he's on the field, Florida State's a different team? Because they've looked pretty yeah. bad, and with this kid mm-hmm. you know, still running amok, it could get a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, they definitely have not looked as strong as they did a year ago because on the team as the whole, while Winston has been playing very extremely well, and had there not been all this off-the-field stuff, it's not crazy that he could have been you know, right in the thick of the Heisman race again. But the thing about what Florida State's advantages are, they do have more pop offensively. I mean, Everett Golson has been big for Notre Dame and that he gives them more of an offensive weapon than they've had before. But Florida State has the advantage there. With Notre Dame, and as you specifically noted, Notre Dame's defense is very strong. They're very tough in the ball, and they're going to play physical. They're going to punch you in the mouth. So I really think this is going to be a very good game. I have a slight edge for Florida State with Winston playing. Now, if Winston doesn't play, I think Notre Dame goes in the win. But it's it's not an easy place to play in Bill Campbell Stadium. And so I think Notre Dame, uh, I think rightfully a small underdog. I like Florida State, but it's going to be a good game. It's going to be physical. It's going to be a tough game for both. But I like Florida State to win this one. But, you know, it's, and here's the thing. It's a very key game for both. It's almost like an early, uh, three-month early national semifinal, in a way. Because Notre Dame now, this could be this would be a huge statement when to go into Florida State win. And then, well, they have some tough games in Arizona State, USC on the road. The rest of their schedule isn't bad. And for Florida State, the rest of their schedule is a joke. Because the ACC is all. 
So going forward, this is a very big game, a lot of playoff implications. and But, uh, yeah, it should be a good one. Ever Golston has been an interesting story this year, considering he's academically ineligible. Notre Dame stunk. Brian Kelly immediately put the foot down, releasing several players from his roster, really cleaned up Notre Dame. I think if this wasn't in Florida State, I'd give Notre Dame the slight advantage. I, I mm-hmm. can see Notre Dame hanging with them. They have to strike early because those are yeah. when those are the games when Florida State has done poorly. If, if we saw North Carolina State get out to like a 24-7 lead, but then, but then North Carolina State's defense obviously is not good enough. If Notre Dame can get out to about a two-touchdown lead, then I think it'll be a lot harder for Florida State. This is FSU's first true test against a ranked opponent. But being at home, and Jameis Winston usually takes takes all the criticism and runs with it, much like what we've seen when Johnny Manziel did it. So it's very hard to beat him in his house. And Clemson almost did it. And several other teams have tried to do it. But I think Florida State will win. Any other big teams on upset alert? A lot of good games. Arizona State and Stanford, both teams are back and ranked. That is the late night game on Saturday, 10.30 p.m. Eastern. That will be going into the wee hours of Sunday morning. And also we have Oklahoma State TCU, both ranked teams. And Kansas State Oklahoma, another pair of ranked teams. But Mm -hmm. Beeflo. Who are the sort of the ranked teams that will be destined to lose? We have Mississippi State, number one, Florida State, number two, Ole Miss, number three, Baylor, number four. All those are undefeated teams. Who will be the first to go down? Especially for the two Mississippi teams, they are just getting started with SEC play. Well, you know, fortunately for them, both uh, Mississippi teams, are off this week. Mississippi State next week has his play will be playing Kentucky, which will be a very interesting game. Particularly the fact that a Mississippi State Kentucky game is not only a potential preview of the SEC championship, it's also a CBS game, which is you know, if you would have told me before the year that Mississippi State Kentucky would be a CBS game next week with our good friends uh uh Vern, Gary and uh, the great Allie LaForce. But, actually, no, I'm sorry. Ole Miss is hosting Tennessee this week. But Tennessee, solid team. They're improving. Don't have the horses to do so. I mean, in terms of the undefeated teams this week, I'm not seeing too many that I think will drop. I think, uh, obvious, uh, a key game in the SEC West will be the, the CBS game tomorrow. Texas A&M, Alabama. Alabama, they look shaky against Arkansas. Now, Arkansas played well, even though they haven't gotten that SEC win yet that they have. It's now been a long losing streak. And Texas A&M, they've looked dropped two in a row. You know, they didn't look so great last week. So now, how good is this team? Can they play, go get a big road win in Tuscaloosa? And is Alabama perhaps overrated as good as we thought they would be as we thought they were only a few weeks ago. So I think that's going to be a very interesting game to watch. I mean, this uh, Saturday, always going to be, you know, now the Saturday's conference play, they're going to be good going for after the slock we had as recently as three weeks ago. But I think that game in Tuscaloosa, uh, it's going to be a very interesting ball game. I like Alabama, but, you know, I don't love this Alabama team. They looked bad against Arkansas. And I love how the officials came out on, on Monday saying, yeah, we blew it. 
What is going on with that Alabama team? It seems like the Kiffin experience is not paying off. And yeah. you have so much hostility between him and Saban that it, it's mm. making Alabama look like a joke. Is this a game is this a game A&M could steal or is Alabama just trying to scratch and claw their way? Because they because that game against Mississippi State, Bama plays them November 15th before mm. Mississippi State finishes the season with Vandy and Ole Miss. So is this a slow molasses trail to get Alabama going? Was that sort of the wake-up call they needed? I think that that game like that, where I thought Alabama was going to get a big win, you know, they needed a bounce-back win after the disappointing loss to Ole Miss and Oxford. But I think now, this week, though, this will be the key sign. If they, they I do believe they're the stronger, the deeper overall team than Texas A&M. If they struggle, or particularly if they lose, that's going to be a real big sign for that this Alabama team really isn't that great. But I think now that they're home again, uh, you know, they, they had a tough game, but, you know, Arkansas is a team, they won the football hard, they, they started, Red people was getting them to play physical football, very similar to what he did in, the, uh, in Wisconsin. So I do like Alabama in this game. Uh, I think they'll win, not incredibly comfortably, but like by a couple scores. Because I just think that even though they're maybe a little overrated, they are still deeper than this A&M club. And I, I you know, this A&M club has been, you know, certainly fun, but they've had a rough few weeks. You know, it was only a couple of years ago, they, they barely uh, survived Arkansas themselves. So I, I like Alabama, but I think now you saw the testiness between Saban and Kiffin. The offense has thrown in the last couple of weeks. And so it's, it's going to be it's going to be a telltale sign how they play on Saturday afternoon. It's a tra- I think it's, it's too early for trap games, but Alabama, that SEC West is so over our heads, and we love it because Alabama coming up you know, has A&M, then they go at LSU, then Mississippi State, a Western Carolina team, which has been preseason last in their conference. I have no idea. And then Auburn. And then Mississippi State has an Arkansas team that ran the tables against Alabama. They actually play Alabama and then Ole Miss. And Ole Miss has to go against Auburn and then or at LSU and then Auburn. So no team in the SEC West is going to go undefeated. And it's insane. I think that for the first team undefeated to lose out of that group of guys probably could be Ole Miss. When they go down to Death Valley against LSU, that is a game that will be so wild because we all know at Les Miles what he could have just cooking up for them. Because I think it will take Mississippi State because that game actually is before the Mississippi State-Alabama game. So before Mississippi State loses, I think Ole Miss will lose, then Mississippi State, and then the SEC West just goes all helter-skelter and beyond, beyond our wildest dreams. That being said, the, the good conference games on Saturday is Big 12, Oklahoma, Kansas State. Kansas State was coached by the old man himself, Bill Snyder, yep. has them ranked again. And then we have Oklahoma State trying to make their way into the big picture against TCU. Of course, Baylor coming back with that miraculous win when TCU's team just collapsed. Big 12 is wild. 
wild and wide open. South Arkansas Radio College football picks. We're moving on now to the NFL, where, first of all, Thursday Night Football was, was kicked off on the right foot with the Pats just struggling alive against the yep. Jets. But an interesting story in regards to Monday Night Football, which the Dallas Cowboys will host the New York Football Giants. Interesting with the NFL sent out a memo to the team doctors in regards to the Ebola virus as many people are having their many Giants players and personnel having their concerns but as Flo, the NFL are they acting sort of taking steps of precaution but are they acting a little too soon on this considering that the Ebola virus is a big national conversation but not uh-huh. something not as far as going into the NFL locker rooms you know, I think that the NFL, you know, they've had so much uh, bad news, uh, you know, go in the past few weeks. That I think that for things like this, they're going to play it very safe. Now, what's the risk of these players getting a ball? It's very low. It's, it's a very, pretty low risk for anyone that's not coming into direct contact with such a victim. And now people going into Dallas, your neck of the woods. So you could probably you may be able to answer this question more than I can, but you know I think people because this is it's now well it's not the actual Grand Zero Grand Zero is in Liberia, but now the fact that there's somebody in Dallas at that hospital you know it people are going to be a little jitterous. So I think that the NFL you can make a case that they're being too cautious. There really isn't anything to worry about, but I don't really think they have anything to lose. By being cautious, uh, a lot of players and stuff, this is a risk. You know, we're, we doubt anything will happen, but it, it can, you know, worst-case scenario, something like that can happen, you know, very low odds. But we'd rather be safe than sorry. And I think that, you know, being overly cautious is far from the worst thing in the situation. Well, a lot of people... Uh, you know, they they said they've shown the more people watch the news about Ebola, the less informed they get, which is exact opposite of what uh, news should do. So, but you know, it's um, it's uh, it's a, it's a, it's kind of an interesting spot for the NFL. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I think if the, them playing this part playing safe, I'm okay with that. Yeah, it better better safe than sorry, as always. You know. Uh, Speaking on the behalf of Dallas, it's not where Jerry World is, but we've seen a lot of people on airplanes that are having flu-like symptoms, and immediately people say it's the E-word. But the NFL is taking precautious steps, which is fine. Eli Manning went on the record saying, you know, he he doesn't he's not worried about it. He doesn't think it's that bad. We'll move forward. That game is Monday night. Very exciting game. The Dallas Cowboys, a renaissance of football. But we move from football to the other football, soccer. John Garner joins us now here on, the, on Fanatic Radio. Welcome. John, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm good, Michael. How are you? Now we have some big news in the world of soccer. After two national team games by the United States, the U.S. is a surprising – or two games, uh, three games. It's a surprising 1-0-2. Not the best start, considering the amount of talent – that Jurgen Klinsmann is working with or called up. That being said, from the New York neck of the woods, John, where you reside, Klinsmann is under heavy fire from the 
few soccer fans we have in this country, as he said on Thursday that he was not criticizing or disparaging Major League Soccer, by but only challenging his players. And and it goes on the record saying he welcomes the debate after comments he said that players like Clint Dempsey and Mike Bradley switching to the MLS from Europe was not necessarily the smartest decision. What do you make of all this? I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> I think it's a, it's, it's a slippery slope, certainly, considering that I'm, I'm working for the league. Uh, but, I don't know, I think at the same time, it, it is a, it's, it was interesting. Yesterday we had a we had a, a luncheon. We had someone speak to us about uh, in regards to the comments, and they're saying that certainly the comments. I, I don't think there's so much of a disagreement with the comments initially, as it's this was from the person that was uh, that gave the luncheon. That he was he wasn't he felt that it wasn't so much the comments as opposed to the form in which he did it. Um, and he said, and and really, it's. It's tough. This this person actually he had, had he was a member of the U.S. men's national team, um, and he felt that he understands that there is a tough stance certainly with the national team coach and the league and working hand in hand. But I, in, in all fairness, I don't feel that Clinton's comments were wrong. I I feel that in, and anybody can look at that and 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 see that the best players in the world and, and the best league in the world are overseas, and um, certainly for the competition that the U.S. should be facing, especially at a World Cup and at international tournaments, they're going to be playing against those players that play in those leagues. If you look at the number of MLS players that were in the last four of the World Cup, there were no MLS players in the last four of the World Cup. And if Klinsman is expecting to get the U.S., if his goals are to get to the semifinals of World Cups and to the knockout stages, you will progressively be playing against players that play week in and week out in the top leagues in the world and in the Champions League and at the highest level internationally. You wouldn't, it, it, you'd be foolish to not want your players to, to have that experience and to go play abroad in the best leagues in the world. And they, and to, in all fairness, they will remain the best league in the world. Is it a lack of understanding, though, because for for him to call out players like Dempsey and Bradley, who made their, I guess made their start in the MLS, was it, was it in the wrong of calling certain players out, or should he have made sort of a general statement towards it? I mean, I think it, it depends on, I think, where he's trying to... I mean, that's a good question. I think it depends on the on what sort of message he's trying to, to bring out. Because I think for, if you were just to give a general message, there are some players on the national team that I don't know if they could make that jump from MLS to the... Um, international realms such as an EPL or a Spain or La Liga or a Syria. Uh, I think from him calling out Dempsey and Bradley specifically, I think he realizes that they've had success overseas, Bradley with Roma and Dempsey with Tottenham. And even before that with their various clubs in Europe, I think he realized that they'd been able to really grow not only as a player but as a person having that experience overseas playing out of your comfort zone, challenging yourself. And I think he's sort of looking to try and get the best out of his players. And as a manager, that's what you want. You want to be able to get the best out of your players. And he knows from experience. It's not like he's he like literally just fell out of the sky or just caught from under a rock. Like he understands where what it takes to be a top player in the world as he was. And I think he realizes that 
having those experiences can only be beneficial to you as a player. It certainly wouldn't. It couldn't hurt. Um, I mean, he's getting again, a lot. Think, he's getting a lot of players worried. Now, Josie Altidore said yesterday that he might even consider leaving Sunderland because after after you know Clemson calling out Bradley saying you know he needs to do better. Josie Altidore has fears that his spot could be in jeopardy. So is this sort? Is this the fire and brimstone that we expect from Clemson? Or I guess if you were in his shoes, we'll, we'll do the uh, the first person scenario. John, if John Gardner was coach of the U.S. Men's National Team, what would be the the way to approach this? Because Don Garber is upset at the comments, thinking that you know majority of the stars on the U.S. World Cup team got their start in MLS. Although a lot of the stars of the World Cup did play most of their soccer in Europe. How would you approach it if you were in Clinton? Well, I think I want to. I definitely want to reiterate the comment that you just said that. Again, while Dempsey had a good, probably I think he played two or three years with the Revolution. I can just I can check actually right now. I want to say he didn't. He only played. Yeah, he played for two years and he got seventy-one caps. So he played for two years of the Revolution, but he played. He's played a total of five or six years overseas and, and you while he got a start certainly in the MLS and similar to Bradley he played what one game for the Metro Stars like they built up a bulk of their career overseas. And I feel like it's I mean, it's an unfortunate situation because I think a lot of those players they've had such great success overseas and now it feels like even though they're back in the MLS, like for me they haven't really match that level where they were maybe two or three years ago. And certainly that's, I mean, fears for, for Clint's been wanting to move forward. But for the players, I mean, it, it depends. I, I don't think it's it's going to be as, I think it is sort of a fire and brimstone sort of attitude, certainly with not the, you know, not really getting the best results in your friendlies, especially in your own country. You should be, you shouldn't have that sort of, you know, we're not playing like an Argentina or a Germany. We're playing in Ecuador and in Honduras. No offense to them, but certainly with with their squads, we should be getting you know solid and decent results. And I think it could be sort of sense. It could be a bit of frustration. Certainly, Clemson just trying to get the best out of his players, and he realizes that the situation that they're in currently, while it may have been a good um, move for them personally, I think from a career standpoint, I think he's feeling it as a step back, and he wants to keep them hungry and keep them challenging uh, to want to keep playing overseas, to keep playing against the best. Um, and, and I think if Josie Altidore certainly, if he's concerned about that, I mean, I don't think, I think the only thing he would be concerned about certainly would just be his playing time. You know, if he's just not getting games with Sunderland, it's, it's tough for him. It's, he's, you know, he's not, he's not helping his cause, but at the same time, it's, a, it's a, to play devil's advocate. He's doing what Clemson's asked. He's, playing in the top league in the world. He's challenging himself week in and week out, but it's tough when you're not getting games. So I don't know. I feel like it's it's a tricky situation, especially going forward. Who is on the hot seat for the uh, the national team? Because we've had two draws and two chances where the team has scored in the 80th minute and beyond, which has made us look really bad. Who who would you say the game for Ireland that is the next team the United States plays, which they're doing fantastic, Got a solid UEFA qualifying draw, Euro qualifying draw against Germany, the world champions. Who who would you say is on the hot seat? 
from the team from the teams that were just in the recent friendly with Honduras or Yeah. I don't know. I I mean that's tough. I to be honest with you, I don't think there's really anybody on the hot seat, especially considering like we we're not in any qualifying campaigns, you know, we're not this is sort of that in between period where you're they're trying I think he's just trying to to sort of see what systems work and which players gel well with, with others and I think he's just sort of like a feeling out process. So I wouldn't really say that there's anybody on the hot seat. I think again, just reiterating what, what Clinton's been saying is that he certainly wants his players to be challenged and he wants his players to be playing against competition and players that they're going to be playing in if they want to be a top team in the world and that's expected. I mean that's something you know, if you it's it's similar example to uh, we'll give we'll give an example of, of doctors and stuff like that. There's an example of doctors. Why do so many doctors want to come to America? Because there's it's the best of them you know, there's there's the, the you know, maybe we may have the best facilities, there may be the best schools, there may be the best opportunity. Why do basketball players want to come play in the NBA? Because it's the best out there. It's the, it's the best league. It's where you can be to be seen and to have the best possible experience for your profession. And that's why certainly Europe is a spot that, you know, players can go over there. And again, it's tricky because he's saying that, and I think he comes from a, it, it's tough because he comes from a background where he's never played in the MLS. He's never had a experience. In, he's never had experience really with the MLS. So he doesn't sort of understand. I think he's really trying to, walk a thin tightrope and I mean it's I would say naive to think especially for the league here to think that the best players in the world and, and their players that play in this league don't want to go play overseas as as well as the MLS has done in terms of building up its development its level of play they, they've made a lot of good steps from where it was probably five or six years ago but realistically I still think a lot of people still hold true to the belief that the best leagues are in Europe and the best players are over there and want to be there. And so I don't think that Klinsman is certainly looking to, to cut anybody or we, if somebody has a bad game, you know, that, or, or if Clint Dempsey or Michael Bradley have another bad game, they're gone forever. I don't I don't see that. There's nothing, there's nothing to, to play for right now. There's no qualifiers. There's nothing to certainly um, challenge. I think he's just trying to figure out where he wants to go from here and what's the next step. Um, and certainly, you know, having people reevaluate some of their decisions, I think that he, that's sort of i.e. why he's called them out, just maybe to sort of give, give them thinking um, is, is what he's attempting to do. Or at the same time, he's, he might be trying to see, you know, how they respond to the criticism, certainly Toronto FC not making the playoffs or having a very rough season and Michael Bradley making that maybe sort of giving him something to think about you know it's not it's not a right or there's no right or wrong answer i think he's just letting him sort of see i think he's sort of looking to see how he responds as a as a professional um which i think is is smart in Clinton's way it certainly is it certainly gives gets you thinking um and always wanting to to try to achieve more all right he's john gardner a soccer expert usa will roll forward national team campaign plays ireland should be interesting as the United States returns back to Europe. John, as always, thank you for stopping by and joining us here on the radio show. Michael, thank you for having me. All right, Flo, at the final few seconds of today's episode, 
Any final shout-outs that you want to say? Funny stories that happened over the week? Or just, uh, as Jerry uh, Springer once said, is now time for my final thought? Uh, wow. Uh, Can I start? I want to start this week with a link I sent you. Uh, a couple of days ago, this was actually last week, but it, it, cannot, it cannot go unnoticed. Bay, Jim Beheim's book was released. And in it, a wonderful excerpt where he reveals that Carmelo Anthony in his uh, lone, yes. se- lone season and school year at Syracuse got four C's and a D in the first semester, which accumulates to a 1.8 grade point average, in which Beheim says in the book, and I'm going to quote, but we couldn't put him in for the Wooden Award because his grades weren't good enough. Flo, if, if he was playing in the NCAA today... There was there'd be no way he'd be academically ineligible. Is it bad for Beheim to take shots at Mello's grade point average in his book, or is it just nothing nothing to be worried about? Well, it's also that Bay. I mean, the, the headlines when you send me the link about that seem to portray it as a negative. But but um, Beheim made was well, he was making a point that he was actually talking about a positive that how many people have to be the star and carry a basketball team, and then carry a basketball team to a national championship, not unless a strong March Madness run, and also have to keep on a strong, you know, great average. So it, it's the it's the, the, the issues that college athletics these days have to face, particularly one-and-done guys. And it wasn't the one-and-done rule back then. So that that was a different case. And he also talked in Bay and talked about well, I thought that maybe he would stay longer, but then I saw what he did. I'm like, yeah, no, he's definitely going pro. I don't think there's anything wrong about it. I mean, I don't know if anyone's going to judge Carmel based on his GPA in college 10 years ago. Because, in my, and I had uh, my, uh, my, my business, or not business, uh, public uh, personal finance professor says, yeah, nobody cares about your GPA, like, after five years. Except for your parents. Your parents always remember your GPA. But nobody else cares about it. I don't think, you know, I mean, he said it, and he said that, you know, he, uh, he obviously didn't have that impressive of a GPA. But for somebody like uh, Carmel Anthony, who, as he said, led a team to the championship, it didn't matter. And that's, you know, that's kind of the problem, you know, everyone's just a student-athlete. You know, that's why they say I'm student first, but something like Carmelo, doesn't matter what he does in school. It's like if he doesn't get kicked out of grade so bad that he's on probation. But, so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, I would guess that Bayhide, maybe he went to Carmelo and was like, do you mind if I say this? And, you know, and talk about it, how it was a positive for somebody like you. And so maybe he did. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's a, it's a, uh, I, I don't know if he's uh, yeah, a bad decision by Dale. I think he was making a point where, you know, these guys, the star guys, they have so much to focus on the court. It can be hard for them, you know, especially they're not as, you know, that, that incredibly astute in the classroom to excel there when they have so much to focus on elsewhere. We get good grades. Well, I had a good of course. I just saw a GPA. Before, before we get to before we get to my final shout out, just yeah, we totally I totally forgot about this. But uh, history and sports. The M- our NBA uh, preview is next.
week. And uh, we got to give a shout-out to my girl Eileen Ehrlich, uh, History and Sports this week. Very interesting uh, throwback for basketball season. With History and Sports, I'm Eileen Ehrlich. Magic Johnson returned to the NBA and Los Angeles Lakers in an attempted comeback after being diagnosed with HIV and being named MVP of the Dream Team over the summer. Johnson was the last on the Lakers to have his name announced before the preseason game, but it didn't stop fans from greeting him with a roaring standing ovation. He scored a two-pointer to put the Lakers on the board, and they eventually claimed a 124-112 victory over the Portland Trailblazers. Johnson played most of the preseason games, but since the disease was not understood, Players like Carl Malone refused to play with him on the court. The media circus following him led him to leave the game. The reason given was to relieve the team from the constant scrutiny and let them play. Johnson came back for 32 games during the 1995-96 season and proved he still had game, but his playtime was cut short because of the infection. Johnson was the first pick of the 1979 NBA draft. He participated in 12 consecutive All-Star games, and helped the Lakers to five national titles. The Lakers retired his number, 32, in 1992, and his name was immortalized in 2002 when he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. His priceless smile lets the world know his positive attitude is far from gone. So there you go. Ma- uh, Magic Johnson played in a in a preseason game. Very, very interesting. I always want to thank Eileen Erlich for bringing us those interesting tidbits. And Flo, any final thoughts before we end the show? Uh, what yeah, about, about what about I, his airness criticizing? Him. What about his airness criticizing LeBron and Dirk for wanting a shortened season? I mean, you know, I don't have any problem with that. Why is the season? Who says it has to be eighty-two games? I don't know. It's a total TV deal. I mean, I think that you know, if you cut it. 20 games or so, nobody would really have a problem with it except for the networks and the league and the teams to make money. That's totally a money-driven decision. It's like, you know, we, you know, we were talking about NASCAR earlier. NASCAR season used to only be 30 races. These to end November. Why is, it, why is it 36? Why is it in November? I don't know. So, but I don't have any problem with them saying, you know, I, I shorter season, um, it would be better, and, you know, it probably would be better. But as we all know, money drives everything in this world. It's very hard to, to, to counter that and to tell give teams, you know, less money. What were you going to say, though, before that? Uh, I really didn't know what I was going to say. <laughs> I didn't have anything. I was just going to probably shoot from the lip and whatever came out of the top of my head. All right, I do want to give one final shout-out to my alma mater of Highland Park High School. Yeah. Because this weekend, and actually today, they are celebrating its 100th anniversary. Now, that's very special because how many people do we know go to a high school that is 100 years old? Usually high schools, this high high school has withstand the... The tests of time, and this weekend I'm gl- I'm very happy to say that I'll be uh, emceeing the centennial celebration oh! at Holland Park High School. A Sunday awesome. is our big sort of birthday bash. Fellow Holland Park alums that are listening, awesome. come out on Sunday. It's two to two to five. We're gonna be having you know memorabilia. Rumor is that Doak Walker's Heisman Trophy will be there. So 
come all, come one, come all. Happy birthday, Highland Park. Excellent. Because that Excellent. that was that's special. I shout out to everyone. From all of us Excellent. here at Fanatic Radio, for Ben Florence, I'm Mike Gardner. This has been Fanatic Radio presented by 1-800-Flowers. We can go to 1-800-Flowers.com and say 40%. If you click on the special link on BFlow360 yeah. to this episode, it's 40% off. Blog. 40% off deal where you can get uh, pink, pink flowers as it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we do it in oh, style. Wow. Join us next week as we'll be breaking down the NBA season before tip-off of the first game. LeBron back in Cleveland, Kevin Love in Cleveland, Kyrie Irving in Cleveland. The Dallas Mavericks, Dirk, if he can pull off the uh, the famed hook shot, Derek Rose back in full health. More of that and more of that and more hijinks on Fanatic Radio. Check out the podcast on iTunes, bflow360.com or blogtalkradio.com slash fanaticradio for Notorious Ben Florence. I'm Mike Gardner saying so long. We'll see you next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Parts.